0: Hey, you would probably rather not experience what I'm going to be talking about today. For some, the very presence of our subject matter must mean that things are bad, avoid it at all costs. Clash, struggle, opposition, these words are used to define it. I'm talking about conflict. Few other things affect the quality of our relationship like this, right? I mean, you may be hurting right now from a recent conflict. You may have an unresolved conflict from way back that sits below the surface, but it's still feeding into your system, stealing away from your well being. Conflict. From the short sayings of Proverbs, the stories in the Bible, or the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, Scripture has loads of material to help us on the subject. We can't possibly cover it all in one message, but here's what I want to do today. First, I'm going to give you two necessary and helpful perspectives that we can bring to conflict. And second, I'm going to give you three categories for conflict as we look at it in the Bible. And then third, I'm going to give you six practices to shape our responses for better relationships, which is a good thing because perspective number one is conflict is inevitable. It's not hard to read the New Testament and be in certain places become enamored with the early church and how they followed Jesus so wholeheartedly. Acts 2:42 is a favorite. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of such a dynamic and caring community? There is lots to idealize in the church as it began, but we should also remind ourselves that even in its infancy, there is conflict in the church. Just a few chapters later in in Acts chapter 6, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Yeah. So under the best leadership, a dynamic, spirit moving environment, a growing, caring church, there is a tension that rears its head. The believers who shared their goods to take care of one another were seen to be missing out on an identifiable group, the Hellenists. And there is conflict. Study the two letters in the Bible written to the Corinthian church. There's division, immorality, and sensitivity. And what strikes me most? People in the church are rejecting the leadership of the man who fathered their church, the man who God chose to extend the message of Jesus to the Gentile nations and write a significant portion of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wasn't the kind of leader they wanted. And as you read between the lines of these letters, like the tension just drips off the pages. If you lead, if you don't, conflict is inevitable. If you are going to live in relationship with people, Now, I guess one approach to this would be to cut yourself off from everybody and live alone with your dog. But most of us have had to try some form of isolation under COVID, and it has not been going well. The negative mental health impact has been extreme, the significant rise of anxiety, depression, sleep deprivation, irritability, anger. See, we were made for relationships because we were created in the image of God who exists in relationship. But being in relationships, we naturally experience conflict. Perspective number two, and this will help. Conflict can be a catalyst for growth. In her secular book, Mindset, Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck talks about the two different perspectives that, among other things, we can bring to relationships as couples and what she labels a fixed mindset. The ideal is instant, perfect, and perpetual compatibility, like it was meant to be, It's not that the partners will work to help each other solve their problems or gain skills. It's that this will magically occur through their love. Now, in contrast, a growth mindset doesn't have this unrealistic romantic expectation. So it is not put off by conflict. When there's a conflict, it's not like, Oh my, what is going on here? We're having a fight. We must not be right for each other. Instead, A growth mindset sees conflict as an opportunity to deepen the relationship, grow through it, and become stronger through adversity, which is how life really works. Conflict is inevitable. Destructive conflict is not. In this series, in our talk called Speaking the Truth, we saw how Paul writes to the Ephesian church to respond to God's gracious calling by living in right relationship with one another. Paul is a realist. He says, it will require us to walk with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, patience is only required when you wish things were going differently. Bearing with one another, which means to stay put and and work it out, is what we are called to when, because of the relationship, we would rather run. These words imply conflict. But as you read on, Paul is optimistic that if we will keep growing into Christ as the focus, that will happen as we speak the truth in love. I have to admit, there's been too many times when I experienced conflict like I just want it to be over. Seeing it as an opportunity, That's a significant shift and our bodies most often don't naturally take on this perspective. Like we feel the conflict intensely within us. Adrenaline, accelerated heart rate, nod in the stomach, coloration in the face, right? Ready to fight or flight. I'm not saying it's easy, but maybe it could be considerably different if we could see that God is at work in our conflict to work out things that are good, because that's what he does. And even beyond the good of reconciliation, God can do more and cause there to be a lasting change we call transformation that helps us and our relationships to look and more and more like Jesus. And as a Christ follower, shouldn't that be our goal? Conflict is inevitable. Destuct- destructive conflict is not. Conflict can be a catalyst for growth. Okay, so let's keep going. Obviously, we have to respond to conflict. Even avoidance is a response. But before we talk about our response or the practices we can employ in conflict, it will be helpful to frame what kind of conflict I am experiencing because that will affect how I respond to it. I'm going to categorize three types of conflict from examples in Scripture. First, sin conflict. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, an outsider. God has an ideal for us to live by. When we miss the mark, that is called sin. And those sins can be directed primarily against God, but they often include sins we commit against one another. If I lie to you, steal from you, betray a confidence against you, gossip about you, get angry against you, physically hurt you, I have sinned against you and God. Matthew prescribes a process here that is helpful as it seeks growth in the relationship. Hopefully you have gained your brother, he says. Sometimes a person sins in a way that is not purposely against you though. You can see that it is a sin against God. Like two people in your church, they are dating and you know they're having sex, which is outside of God's given boundaries and you're you're tempted to think, well, you know, that's up to them, that's their business. Who am I to judge? Well, know that God sees it as a sin that affects you and your brothers and your sisters in Christ as well. When we become a Christian, we become part of the body of Christ. In a body, when the hand experiences something like cold or pain, it's not like the rest of the body feels nothing. So our personal actions have effect on the rest of the church. If I sin against God, guess what? It has an effect on the whole body's relationship with God. There's a story in the Old Testament. Joshua has led the children of Israel to cross the Jordan and plunder the city of Jericho. By God's command, they are not to take any of the city's stuff It was considered devoted to the Lord. So you probably know the story. They march around this fortified city each day for seven days. And on the seventh day, they do it seven times. The walls fall down and Jericho falls. And as Israel enters and takes the city, their eyes would see some of the gold and silver and artwork. Tempting stuff, no doubt, right? But devoted to the Lord no less. They were not to take anything. But one man does. One man. His name is Achan. He takes just a few little things, and he hides them, and here's how the Bible records that. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the, dev- of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Not just Achan, the people of Israel. One man's sin affected everybody. In the New Testament letter to the church at Corinth, there is a messy situation going on whereby a man is having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Instead of confronting that, think conflict, the church did nothing, and yet they were prideful about themselves, like we are a moving and shaking happening church. Paul says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? One man sin, two people sin." affects the rest. That's why we just can't leave sin alone. It is necessary to enter into conflict for the purpose of getting things right, for reconciliation and transformation for the sake of the whole. That's sin conflict. Secondly, truth conflict. We read in Galatians chapter 2, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, This is an intriguing story because it shows a conflict between two apostles, two of God's chosen leaders in the early church. Even the best have a conflict. A Jew for their whole life had maintained a separation between themselves and other nationalities, called the Gentiles, as part of their devotion to God. But at the heart of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ is that the barrier between man and God, each other, Jew and Gentile, has been broken down in Christ. This is a huge worldview shift in when both Peter and Paul preach. Yet in the company of the Jews under peer pressure, Peter, also referred to as Cephas, separates himself from the Gentiles, eating only with the Jews and so influencing others to do the same. Paul did not leave this alone. As he writes, their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So Paul publicly confronts Peter whose actions were in public. It doesn't take long to see that in Christian circles, people disagree with what scripture teaches and the actions that should follow. This is a conflict over the truth, and that may be no small matter. You may be familiar with early church creeds. Uh, We sang a creedal song today, This I Believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. Creeds were agreed upon statements of faith that gave clarity. And, And how did creeds come about? out of conflict. Teaching arose that was off, and if followed would have set the trajectory of the church into error. And the disagreement forced the church to think hard about what they believed. The Nicene Creed of 325 AD clarified the divinity of Jesus. The Chalcedonian Creed of 451 AD clarified how the divine and human natures of Jesus worked together. Today we stand on the theological foundation they set for us. You know, there are some things we can hold a belief about in Christian faith that are less essential, and we can hold them more loosely. Think of an open hand. We should never let it bring a barrier between us. For example, in Romans, Paul acknowledges one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. There are a number of things like this, like your belief as to how the end of the age plays out. We call that eschatology. There are a number of differing opinions, but that should never put up a barrier to our relationship. In contrast, there are some things that we should enter into conflict for the sake of of preserving the truth. Think of a closed hand, truths that are essential to the core of Christianity, like the divinity of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ethics of Jesus. It is inevitable truth brings conflict within the church and without. Jesus and his disciples experienced conflict because of the gospel. Let's not forget, our Savior was crucified and his disciples persecuted because of the truth. Thirdly, difference conflict. In Acts 15, we read, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. When you read definitions of conflict, you'll often see the word difference. This conflict in Acts is an example of a difference of opinion. Paul and Barnabas had traveled together and seen God do some great things through them. There was much more to do, places to visit, share the gospel and encourage those who had already believed. They worked in teams. For their second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark. Paul says, no way. And there's a sharp disagreement. The word has the connotation of being stirred up, like this got intense and they separated. The backstory story is that John Mark, he had let them down previously. The writer in Acts had let us know this discreetly already in Acts chapter 13. It says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John Mark had abandoned them in the previous mission. In Paul's mind, he did not feel that John Mark was ready to be trusted with the next one. But Barnabas wanted to give John an opportunity for redemption, a chance Paul was not willing to take, a difference of opinion and conflict. We all know about that, don't we? I mean, there are a lot of opinions on the true nature of what is going on regarding COVID-19. A lot of opinions on whether we should take the vaccine or not take the vaccine or which one. It's not a theological truth we are debating over. They are opinions. And sadly, just as Paul and Barnabas became divided, so the issues around COVID have divided families and churches. Sin conflicts, truth conflicts, difference conflicts, different opinions, different personal styles, different personalities. So many opportunities for conflict. So many opportunities for growth. And that's where God wants to take us in our conflicts. The goal is not to be right, the goal is reconciliation and transformation that moves us to be more like Christ and in the process glorify God. Let's think about how we contribute to that in our conflict as we look at six processes. Number one, let the gospel shape your response. When we think of the story of the gospel, there are several parts to that story that should shape our response. First, the gospel story begins with God creating human beings in the image of God. That should affect our thoughts and conversation towards honor. To paraphrase James, we worship God, so how can we speak evil of one who's been made in the image of God? In that light, C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. When you are in a conflict with someone, do they know that you value them as God does? The gospel directs us towards honor. It also reminds us that we are flawed. Soon in the story, man rebels against God. His life is perpetually tainted by sin. And we cannot expect perfection from others, let alone ourselves. We will offend one another. Don't be shocked. But know that there is grace. As you read on in the story and it arrives in Jesus, the gospel is referred to as good news because it is a message of God's grace. Meaning you don't have to get yourself cleaned up to a certain level before God accepts you. You just have to believe in Jesus and what he's done for you. That's there for you today. Life-changing, eternally significant grace. And grace says God loves you just as you are. Grace also says God loves you not to let you stay where you are. What that means then is that we all start from different places and we are all people in process. Not quite the way he wants us to be, not completely like Jesus just yet. And so imperfect person relating to another imperfect person multiplied many times over, conflict is inevitable. But here's the thing, just as we have received grace and mercy, so we are to extend that to others. Jesus told a parable about the uh, called the unmerciful servant. His point was this, when you get the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God, you will be that way to others. We never respond to conflict with a self-righteous, prideful, vengeful motivation because the enormous grace of God has been made clear to us. And it's so humbling. The gospel compels me to honor you even when we have a conflict, to be merciful to you, to be gracious. The gospel compels me to forgiveness. And forgiveness is something we are going to dive deeper into next week. You don't want to miss that. It is an important piece to what we are talking about today. Two. Own your contribution. As a leader, I've had a number of conflicts in leading this church, and I'm under no illusion that my contribution to those conflicts was zero. I am a flawed leader trying to do his best, but I make mistakes. When I experience conflict, one of my first reactions is to justify myself. I can build a case pretty quick as to why I was in the right and why the other person was in the wrong. But if my goal is something more than being right, a a better step is to see, what have I contributed unnecessarily to the conflict? And I then bring that into the conversation, too, and maybe even ask for forgiveness. Here's where it can take courage. As you reflect on your contribution, maybe there are patterns of behavior that bring repeated conflicts. You can go around and around and around experiencing the same issue, or... Take a dive deeper and ask, like, why? Why does this upset me all the time? Why does this always make me angry? And as you lay that beside God's truth, what lie am I believing about myself and and or others that is causing conflict? These questions lead you out of the cycle and into God's transformation. Three, evaluate the conflict and release or move towards. All right, as we think about the types of conflicts, There are conflicts that you can simply let go. Many conflicts are conflicts of of differences. Opinion, personal style. They may grate me, but they're not that substantial, are they? Those of you who are married, sometimes you can look back and see how you fought over the smallest thing. Isn't that the case? I'm embarrassed about this. My wife and I fought one time over a coupon. Who had it? Who misplaced it? Like it was worth $5. And we fought fiercely. Come on. So many things in the big picture, they just don't matter. Release them. This is different than avoidance. Corinthians tells us, love is this way. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. That is, it's not easily offended. And it, it's not keeping score. It keeps no record of wrongs. In the area of beliefs, Evaluate. If it's an open-hand issue, it's fine to wrestle with another person about it. But if it's not central to the core of Christianity, and we can talk about it and then let it go. And we're all good. Release. In contrast, there are conflicts where the right thing to do is to move towards another and with humility address the issue. God is for peace, but not at the expense of holiness and truth. We should engage in conflict over essential truth to uphold and defend it. For example, the ethics of Jesus regarding sexual identity and and practice are under attack and in no way should we compromise to the spirit of this age. We should also move towards issues of sin to resolve them, especially when there's a repeated pattern. We saw that in Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. This is the general principle given to us by Jesus. In cases of abuse or significant power differential, you know, wisdom might warrant going with others initially, but generally you move towards alone, not gossiping to other people about it first, not posting displeasure on social to shame the person. You approach alone with your thoughts and motives shaped by the gospel, wanting the best for that other person to be freed from their sin and the relationship to God and you restored. And if that doesn't happen, Matthew writes on, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church because our sins affect one another for pray for the other person or persons. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Peter also writes, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. Hey, one of the ways to ensure that my heart and motives are right is to pray for the person or persons that I am in conflict with. We shouldn't see those we are in conflict with as enemies or our persecutors, but even if they were, we are told to pray for and bless such people. It certainly must apply to those we are simply in struggle with. Pray for them and see God work. Five, seek the help of the Holy Spirit. Dealing properly with conflict is one of the the most difficult things we can do as followers of Jesus Christ. We can idealize some of the more glamorous things of the Christian walk. You know, I love to worship, I love to read scripture, I love sharing my faith with people. Getting along with others, working through a disagreement, it's hard. But this is where the rubber really meets the road, doesn't it? Our witness to the world is largely impacted by how we relate to one another And that is most supremely demonstrated in how we handle our conflicts with one another. We need the help of the Holy Spirit for guidance and discerning what to release and what to move towards. Adrenaline pumping, heart rate up, conflict. Remember, this could be a growth opportunity. Ask the Spirit to give you courage and the strength to carry it out rightly. Six, be good with doing your part conflict is inevitable you can do your part with the right heart and motives and still be misunderstood still be rejected no reconciliation in sight you got to be good with that be at peace you did your part when i was in my 20s uh, there was a group of us who were pretty tight-knit circle and um, there was a situation where one of my closest friends sinned against one of my other closest friends. And I, I I, confronted him on it. And it led to the fracture of our relationship that has never been the same. I did everything I could and I did what I thought was right. But that didn't mean it was going to turn out the way I had hoped. And at the end of the day, I had to be good with my... With my relationship with God and my obedience to him. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, If possible, if possible," meaning that it's not always possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Conflict is inevitable, but destructive conflict is not. God can use conflict for our good and his glory as we respond rightly, being informed by the gospel with the goal of Christ-like transformation. And I've also seen this play out. There's another time a number of years later, uh, my wife and I were pastoring in a church, and we had a a person in our church who we'd grown close to, um, but we could see was starting to make some poor decisions that were not in alignment with what God would want for her. As as you read the Bible, it was, she was starting to get off track, and the trajectory was not good. And, you know, we, we talked it over, and like, should we, should we not But we decided to take the risk, to risk our friendship, to risk her even being in our church, and to approach her and and to bring to her attention that from a biblical perspective, what she was doing was wrong and was taking her down a wrong path. She responded. She responded rightly. And as we look back together, our relationship grew so much through that conflict, through that confrontation, as she slowly began to make right choices and and change her direction, and then to this day, we still communicate though we live cities apart because God used that situation for His glory, her good, and our good. That's what happens. Conflict is inevitable. Destructive conflict is not. And God can work it out for our good and His glory. As we finish up this morning, I just... I just want to invite you to ask God, to ask the Holy Spirit, three questions. God, who do you want me to release? God, who do you want me to move towards? And lastly, God, who do you want me to pray for?